Good morning. This morning we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason with, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of the Lord. So today, I would love to follow up on Ryan Itzel's gospel presentation to encourage us um, in our call as Christians to evangelize the people in our lives. Uh, I should clarify what I mean by evangelism. Um, and for, uh, this is just a simple definition for our purposes today. I'm sure there are more helpful ones out there. When I say evangelism, what I mean by evangelize is to share the good news of Christ with others in a Christ-like way. Now, the younger you are, according to statistics, the younger you are, studies say, the more likely you are to feel that evangelism is wrong or inappropriate in this society. The younger you are, pressure from our culture, from the people around you, and probably from your own worldview or the way you think about the world and life, the assumptions, the presuppositions you bring, into religion and faith and things like that, the younger you are, the more likely you are to believe that evangelism is a dirty word. Now, I don't think it is. Now, I will admit, there are wrong ways of doing evangelism. But evangelism for the Christian is essential. Evangelism for a faithful church is essential. As the Apostle Peter wrote to Christians in Asia Minor, current-day Turkey, around A.D. 65 or so, suffering for their faith, Peter said to them, as they suffer for following Jesus, he said, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience." Now, out of today's scripture reading, I'm just going to focus on those two verses, part of those two verses. Now, I will be honest with you, and if you know me well, and if you, if you were here, part of the launch team at the very beginning of Deep Run Church's existence, you'll know I am not a gifted evangelist. I will tell you that as a, your pastor. I am not a gifted evangelist, and what I mean by that is that has not been the primary way, the primary evidence of abundant fruit that God has revealed in my life, through my ministry, the gifting that he has entrusted to me. I am not a strongly gifted evangelist, but I, I aim to do the work of an evangelist. As the Apostle Paul said to Timothy in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I aim as a Christian and as a pastor to do the work of an evangelism, of evangelist, and therefore I am passionate about evangelism. It is largely why I wanted to be a part of planting a church because of the centrality and importance of evangelism as an aspect of Christian witness. Now, look, 
We are all in this room at different levels of confidence and gifting or fear or opinions about personal evangelism, okay? But for the Christian and for the faithful church, as I've said, evangelism is not optional, it's essential. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to evangelism. As Ryan said earlier, we're not all going to become artists and painters as we talk about Christianity. And some people are very gifted as cooks, and they have people in their home and sit down and make a meal and talk about Jesus. And, and some people are great, with, are great with apologetics and are very clear, linear thinkers. And other people just have huge hearts and big compassion and, and just woo people by, by, by just embodying the grace of Jesus and how they speak and how they act. There's no one-size-fits-all approach to it. But we all must approach it as Christians. The Christian never lacks opportunities to be a witness. That's kind of the idea for today. If you are a Christian, you will never lack opportunities to be a witness for Jesus Christ. I want to talk about three aspects of this, the manner of evangelism, the timing of evangelism, and the substance of evangelism. Another way of saying that is this, three things. How do we evangelize? When do we evangelize? And what are we doing and saying when we evangelize? How, when, and what? The manner of evangelism, the timing of it, and the substance of sharing our faith about Jesus. So the manner in which we evangelize should always be respectful, right? That's what I want to talk about when I say, how do we evangelize? Well, above all things, we must be respectful in our matter. Uh, Peter said, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you. Now, when you see the word defense, that may make you nervous because defense sounds obnoxious or confrontational, okay? But it's actually not. The original word was a Greek word that meant apology, but not like you get in trouble or you sin or you make a mistake and you apologize for it. Different word. The word that, that Peter uses for defense, it meant to reply. It meant to respond to a question or to reply to a circumstance or a situation. For instance, in Acts chapter 22, the apostle Paul used that very word when he said to a group of, uh, of, of Jews in Jerusalem, he said, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. Now, Paul said that to a crowd of people who had just beaten him and were getting ready to stone him to death. And they would have killed him if it were not for the local Roman authorities who got wind of the ruckus and went and pulled Paul out of it. But Paul said to the Roman authorities, hold on, I want to talk to the crowd. And he turned around and he addressed the people who were trying to kill him. And he spoke to them, and Acts, it tells us that he spoke to them in Hebrews, and he explained what he was doing in the city. See, there was a lot of confusion about Paul and his reputation and what he was teaching. And there was some fierce opposition against him. And so people were out to get them, uh, out to get him, and they found him, and they went after him. And so Paul says, I want to talk to them. Let me make my defense. And then he explained to them who he was and 
where he came from and what his story was and what he believed and why he was there. Paul's defense was a clarification. It was an explanation. Paul's defense was not defensive. You understand? Okay? It was not antagonistic or self-serving. It was a respectful plea in their own language done respectfully with intelligence. A century later, the church father, Justin Martyr, wrote an apology, same word that we see here in this passage, apologia, the same word explaining to the Roman emperor who Christians were, what they were about, what they believed, and why actually, in contrast to rumors about them, Christians were the best citizens in the Roman Empire because of what they believed and who they believed in. Because Paul had set the tone for the early church in his manner of respectful dialogue with people. And Peter also set the tone in this very passage. You see Peter and Paul in agreement with one another about respectful dialogue. Let's keep going. He specifically said, do this, right? So, and this helps us clarify what Paul, what Peter meant by defense. Do it with gentleness and respect, having a clear conscience. See, when you talk to somebody about Jesus, when you talk to somebody about your faith and what you believe, especially if they disagree with you, later on when you think about it, you should have a clear conscience about what you said and how you acted. When you think about how you acted and what you said later on, you should have a peace of mind about how you conducted yourself, relationally and verbally. Did you treat the person with dignity as a fellow image bearer, whether they're an atheist or a Hindu or a Muslim or um, whether they're a family member or a neighbor or a coworker, they are created in the image of God just as you were. And you need just as much of God's grace as they do. So did you treat them with dignity? Do you have a clear conscience about that? Also, did you listen to them or was it just like a monologue? Just you talking. Now, Ryan talked uh, because that was a presentation. But when you talk to people, is it a dialogue? Do you listen while you speak? Do you let them ask questions? Are you patient in conversation? Are you gentle? You know, when, when, um, when, Paul, uh, when Peter uses the word gentleness, it's the same root word for Jesus using the word meek. It means meekness. Were you meek? Were you gentle and humble in conversation? The Christian evangelizes in a respectful manner. Basically, we should act like Jesus when we talk about Jesus. Now, being respectful in conversation is not too difficult for me because I am, to a fault, a people pleaser, and I am afraid of rejection. So I don't have a big problem with being gentle and respectful and kind as I talk to people. Where I struggle is the timing of evangelism. I struggle with when and what and how they will respond. The timing of our evangelism should be always. I mean, Peter is saying, it's pretty clear. Always is the timing of our evangelism. Always, but with discretion. 
always with discretion. We're not omniscient, right? We don't know when the time is perfect for somebody else to hear. We don't know when God is working in somebody's heart. We don't know. We don't know what God only knows, which means we should always be ready. It's because we don't know what's in a person's heart that we should always be ready because God will make it clear, and when he makes it clear, we should be ready as Christ's ambassadors. How did he put it? Let me, uh, let me emphasize a different part of the passage. Always being prepared. Always being prepared to make our explanation. Now, when, when y'all became members of Deep Run Church, okay, uh, many of you are, are church members, meaning you have committed to follow Jesus with all of us. We, we, we serve and, and submit to one another. You may remember when you met with the elders uh, to pursue church membership, we asked you a question. We said, could you summarize for us the gospel? Could you explain to us what the gospel is? Remember that? Just briefly tell us what the gospel is that you have believed. Now, for obvious reasons, we were trying to figure out, well, is this person actually a Christian? Do they follow Jesus and love Jesus and know why they are saved? That's obvious. But there was another reason. It was to emphasize at the very beginning of your commitment to us as a faith family how important we believe it is that every Christian should understand what it is they believe and should be very, even if not eloquent, just simply be able to summarize the hope that they have in Jesus Christ when put on the spot. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, but... I was talking to you, Brian. I was talking to another elder, and I already met you, and I felt comfortable, and you gave me tea, or we were sitting on the couch. But, but what happens when I'm talking to somebody, and they, they ask me a question that I'm not prepared to answer? Something about culture or something. You know, I'm not that intelligent, or I can't predict what they're going to say, or I, just, I, I have great ideas in my head, but it just comes out like Buddha when I try and open my mouth. What if they have objections to faith and Christianity and I'm not prepared to answer those objections and questions? That's a great concern. I totally get it. Uh, and, and I'm not belittling that because quite often I feel the same way. But here's the thing. It won't be a surprise to you the next time you talk about Jesus. So they present a question or an objection you've never heard before. If you are doing it with gentleness and respect, you'll handle it graciously, humbly. Let me get back to you on that. And the next time somebody asks you that question or raises that objection, it won't be a surprise to you anymore. See, this is a learning process, right? It's not a monologue. It's a dialogue every time. And we grow and we learn if we're humble and respectful, right? Now, here's something else important, though. The word always, always being prepared, it doesn't mean preach or share without discretion, okay? Always being prepared doesn't mean we steamroll people wherever and whenever we are and with whomever we're talking to. Consider what the apostle Paul said to the church in Colossae. He said, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. You see that? Wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. There's the discernment. Best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see the discernment there? 
He's not just speaking in generalities. Many of you are educators. You're teachers. Okay? Um, you know that you can't predict how each one of your students will respond to your content. You walk into the classroom, you got 10 to 30 people there. You have content, you have general content, but you can't predict or know or, or directly manage how every individual person will respond to the content you're putting out there, right? Um, you can't control a student's personality or temperament. You can't, you can't control the different levels of natural ability that unique people have. You can't control the home environments where they're coming out of, right? These are all things that greatly impact somebody, somebody's learning environment, and you have no control over any of that. However, what do you have control over? You've selected a curriculum, or your administration has. You have a curriculum. You know the curriculum. You've put lesson plans together. You've prepared in advance. And what? You've shown up. You show up. There's a curriculum. You have a lesson plan, and you show up. Day after day, you are there. You are present. And whatever happens that you can't control on an individualistic basis, you are there for them. You're always prepared. No matter what comes at you and what they say and what's going on in their home life, you know, and, and somebody has this level of a learning ability and this person has a disability, whatever it is, you're there. You're there for them. You're prepared, whatever comes at you. And, and really, that's, that's what I'm trying to say about evangelism. You can't predict what people are going to be like and what they're going to say and how they're going to respond, but you can be there for them. There are ways that you can be prepared as a faithful Christian. Evangelism is a lifestyle. Think of it as a lifestyle of preparedness, making the best use of our time in whatever context God has placed us. My challenge and encouragement to us is to start praying, if we haven't yet, for opportunities to share the gospel with gentleness and respect. Pray for opportunities to share it with gentleness and respect, always ready but discerning in each situation. Take advantage of next Saturday morning, Ryan Itzel and the evangelism class. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. It's just two hours. Like he said, he's not going to teach you how to paint next Saturday. And we're not expecting that out of all of you. It'd be like me, like, like preaching the gospel at the piano or with the accordion. I'm not going to teach you how to play the accordion, right? But the, it's the principles that matter. It's being able in any situation, whether it's Thanksgiving dinner or on the metro or on the street or when you know, your, your, your neighbor's lawnmower breaks down and you come over to help, just being prepared to deal with each individual situation in person, but being prepared, being faithful, being respectful, ready but discerning. So take advantage of next, uh, next Saturday morning, RSVP directly to me, email me. And if you can't make it because something comes up, that's okay. We'll have more opportunities. Listen, Peter is offering us a challenging situation here. He's giving us an, an opportunity to examine our own witness. Now, as I said before, uh, there's no one size fits all, but 
Um, there's also no one size fits all for how sin manifests itself in us, how fear or selfishness or laziness manifests themselves in all of us. Because some of us are afraid to speak. We're afraid to talk about Jesus uh, because we're afraid of rejection, because we've re- been rejected time and time again in our lives. And so we're thinking, what are they going to think about me? Or what am I going to do if I don't like how they respond? We're afraid of rejection or we're afraid of the consequences. What will it do for our job or our friendship or Thanksgiving dinner? We're worried about the consequences. And some of us struggle with our own doubts about faith and Christianity. Read the Psalms. The Psalms were full of believers expressing their doubts to God. And sometimes our doubts trip us up and make us second guess the legitimacy of our faith, whether we really know what we're talking about or whether we're just hypocrites and have no right to say anything. Some of us are just afraid to speak, but in our silence, we fail to speak honorably about Jesus. Now, some of you are falsely confident. You have the other problem. Some of you don't listen. You're pushy. And you're dishonest with yourself about your own faith doubts which, of course, you're not going to come across as humble to somebody else if you're always acting like you always have the answers and you're always right. The Word of God is truth, but a human being is not always right. And sometimes you fail to make that distinction when you talk to people about such sensitive issues. And so you are very confident, but it is a false confidence. You're not confident in God's Spirit working through His Word. You're confident in your ability You're confident in being comfortable. You're confident in in your temperament, which allows you to talk so openly and freely and maybe even debate and argue. But equally so, in your arrogance, maybe it's not silence for you, but in your arrogance, you fail to speak honorably about Jesus. So ask yourself, how, how are Peter's words here challenging us? to examine our own weaknesses as Christians who are called to be Christ's ambassadors. When we are ill-prepared, when we are undiscerning, our neighbors are left to their own impressions about who Jesus is and what Christianity is. Our neighbors are left to the media to tell them what Christianity is and who Christians are. Our neighbors and coworkers and relatives are left to their bad religious experiences from the past to tell them who Jesus is and what Christianity is all about. But there's a substance to the gospel. We're not just sharing something respectfully. We're not just sharing something respectfully that we have prepared respectfully in love, it's the something that matters the most. The substance of evangelism is the message itself. It is the message of hope. We are called to respond with a reason for the hope that is in us. The reason, the word meant message, word, matter. He's saying There is a message. There is content. The hope that we have is based in content, in objective truth, in a story, in a series of events. This is where our hope lies. 
He says, the reason for the hope that you have. So listen, we're living examples. And when we endure hardships in faith, we're an example. We're a witness. When we endure hardships and abuse from other people and criticism patiently, we are Christ's faithful witnesses. When we show compassion, injustice, and mercy in our lives, we are Christ's faithful witnesses. That's all great. But that's not evangelism specifically. In our witness as Christians, we are always praying that it leads to conversation. We are always praying that it leads to dialogue so that we can illuminate the reason for why we are good witnesses. When people ask, why are you different? Why have you been so patient through this massive project that's stressing out everybody on the team? Why is it that you have forgiven that person? I would never have forgiven them for what they did to you. Why don't you follow the crowd when it's easy? Why is everybody giving up on religion and Christianity, but you don't seem to be? What's wrong with you? (laughs) Because sometimes they're not always impressed. Sometimes they're repulsed, but they're still asking. And we give them the reason. That's evangelism. You may be a wonderful neighbor or a wonderful coworker. I may be on my better days a decent pastor. But evangelism is when our neighbors hear the reason for the hope that we have, the reason for the lives that we are living. Our hope is in a God who saves us, who forgives us, who loves us, and who's coming back to restore us and to restore all things. That's the message. That's the hope we have. As Peter would go on to say, I know we, didn't, we haven't read this yet, but you go further. In 18, he spells it all out. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. It's all right there. It's packaged so nicely. He reminds them, this is the content. This is the message of the hope that you have. That is the reason for why you are different. So share it respectfully and always be prepared when the Lord provides an opportunity. The message saves. And I hope that's an encouragement to you. It is to me. My evangelism does not save me. The message saves me because I will always be a less than perfect Christian and evangelist and as you already know, pastor. But Christ saves me, not my own efforts. But we still need to say that it is Christ that has saved us. As Paul said in Romans chapter 10, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. I think if you pray and if you reflect we will discover that quite often God has never left us without an opportunity to not only be witnesses, but to evangelize. Sometimes that witness will lead to evangelism. Whether you're sick and you're suffering well, or you're falsely accused and you do not retaliate and respond in kind. 
when you're hurt deeply and you forgive. When you say no to what everybody else around you is doing and you know it's wrong. Sometimes those, those elements of witness will lead to evangelism, sharing the good news of Christ with others in a Christ-like way. So let's pray for opportunities as individuals and as a church to share the gospel with gentleness and respect. If you are timid, pray for courage. If you are overconfident, pray for restraint. But even when our evangelism is sloppy, God is faithful to work through the message because it is not you. It is the message that saves people by faith. The first person I can remember who became a Christian because of my direct witness and impact and evangelism in their life, I didn't even know they had become a Christian. Like they told me months later. I was, that was how sloppy I was in my witness and in my evangelism. I didn't even know that they had received Christ. I was sloppy. God was faithful. So just remember that the, the, the Jesus we're talking about is full of grace, not just full of truth. He's full of truth to work in the heart of somebody you talk to, but he's full of grace to cover your laziness and your fear and your arrogance for being sloppy evangelists. And, and that's, that's what I've got today. Uh, from one sloppy evangelist to a bunch of others, let's trust in the grace of God and let's continue to partner with people that God has actually gifted to guide us and teach us so that we can serve him faithfully in partnership with the broader kingdom of God in Westminster and Carroll County. Amen? All right, we're gonna sing, but let's pray first. Oh, Father, we praise you that it is your grace and faithfulness and kindness that lead people to saving faith and repentance. Thank you that it is your kindness and faithfulness and patience that, that forbears our own pride and our own fear, our laziness and our indiscretion. Thank you that you are saving souls, not us. But, Father, help us to be faithful because we love you, because you loved us first. Father, give us as a church, give us as individuals opportunities to share our faith. Would you teach us? Would you show us? Thank you so much that somebody once spoke to us. Thank you so much that your son came to earth and lived here for over three decades and spoke your truth to us and spoke your grace to us and not only lived as your witness but declared the salvation of our God. We love him. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen.